Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Educate US. Here with, of course, Dr. Patrice Fenton and Nick Saveri. This is Stacy Schultz, and we're really excited about our guest with us today, Dr. Demary Bonilla Rodriguez, a national leader in diversity-focused leadership development. She brings extensive experience from nonprofit, private, and government sectors to her impactful keynote addresses. She has a background in Spanish, social work, organizational communications, and a doctorate in executive leadership. She actively contributes to diverse leadership initiatives, and she supports various professional organizations, serves on boards, contributing to social justice efforts at multiple levels. Recognized for her written work and media features, Dr. Bonilla Rodriguez is also a devoted mother of twin boys, Caleb and Joshua. She resides in Pennsylvania with her husband. Thank you again for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I love that you rolled your R's and included my babies in that bio. That's the most important role of all. You know, we often all talk about that here at Educate US. Um, and uh, to get us started, I know you have a book coming out. In fact, I pre-ordered a copy, which I'm really excited to get. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah. First of all, thank you for your support. It's in pre-sale right now. So it will be in that phase for a couple of weeks just to create momentum and get people thinking about the topic. And the title of the book is Modern Marianismo. It's relevance and connection to the imposter syndrome and perfectionism. And it's an extension of my doctoral research in which I studied Latina leadership across the United States in terms of understanding what are the barriers that Latina leaders face when trying to achieve leadership success? What are the positive influences? How do we understand our leadership style and really frame Latina leadership from a general lens? Typically, when you read research about Latinas, it's specific to a sector, it's specific to a role. And I wanted to understand no matter what sector you're in across sectors, what does it look like to say, I'm a successful Latina leader. And one of the areas that came up was the cultural nuance and the expectation for Latina women that is the opposite of what we talk about for men, which is machismo. And the opposite of that for women, the counterpart, if you will, is Marianismo, which came from Catholicism, the Virgin Mary, um, and is a term that was introduced in 1967 to explain the behavior of Latinas who tended to be nurturers and um, sacrificial, putting others before themselves. And one of the things that I decided in my own journey is that there are parts of that life that I adopt and that I enjoy. I enjoy making dinner for my family. I enjoy taking care of them and leaving things in order. But I also enjoy getting in front of a crowd of a thousand people and having them leave motivated and saying, you can change the world, right? And so um, I coined the term modern Marianismo, which is a reconciliation of those cultural nuances, the parts of it that you accept, right? So if you decide 
cooking is not for me, that's okay. <laughs> you don't have to do that, right? If you decide cleaning is not for me and I'm going to hire a cleaning service, that's okay. But the parts that you choose, you can adopt. And then the parts of the individual uh, modern American society that you accept, you can merge those. So that allows you to be the kind of leader that you choose to be and helps you grapple with the expectations. And so my own journey has been navigating those expectations of, you mean your kids eat Chef Boyardee and don't always have homemade spaghetti and meatballs or, you know, homemade dishes, which, which I love, right? But I don't always have the time to make it. Yet eating Chef Boyardee is fine for the kids, for me, for my husband. Sometimes we just enjoy it, right? So it was an opportunity for me to write about my own journey where those expectations from others and self-imposed expectations have caused me to try to be perfect and have these perfectionism tendencies. And when I'm not able to meet those expectations, then I've ended up in this imposter syndrome phase where people can say to me, you've inspired me. I've, I've had people say, I left my job and started my own business because of you. And for a long time, I was like, um, I wouldn't do that right? until a, a year and a half ago when I left the workplace and started my own business, but I had to work through some of those challenges. And who are the people in your corner that can help you with that? And what are the resources that can support you in the process? So it's it's a combination of my own journey and real life and research and just um, really understanding that cycle and how those three experiences are so connected. Damari, the fact that you sort of unpacked a framework that has been, like a structure has been in place. Like the fact that you just explained, you know, when we talk about machismo and like, what is sort of the, I guess the different energy. I don't like saying opposite because I think this sort of denotes strength in one side or the other. I think it's just a different presence, but you know, as you're articulating that, what's what can appear as a conflict just sort of like to someone internally, but then also in the professional space and the leadership space, was there a sort of a breakthrough moment you had where you were recognizing that, like there is a, a stance that you're taking or like a vibe that you're giving off, but like internally you're telling yourself, why, why do I sort of subscribe to what I, what I, what I sort of come off as or the story I'm telling myself? I love that question. And so along the way, I have had those moments, you know, talk about the butterfly effect. And that was front and center for me during my doctoral journey, where I was expecting twins, working full-time, living in Pennsylvania, uh, in an accelerator program in New York and really had to fight the feelings on a day-to-day -day basis. There were times that I'd sit on the edge of my bathtub and cry because I was exhausted and didn't feel like I could do it. That's where your network comes into play, where your partners and the people in your life come into play. And honestly, there were times when I thought my husband was mean because he'd say, you keep going until you drop. And I was like, you don't understand that I'm tired and I'm stressed. And he would say, keep going. And I actually completed the program on time and had colleagues that didn't. So they said the new standard for this doctoral program on an accelerated track is that unless you're having triplets, there's no excuse not to finish, right? So the, the answer is that along the way, there are moments when you realize that the work that you're doing is impacting others and it's impacting you because as I'm pushing myself as I'm being pushed by those around me that believe in me, sometimes more than I believe in myself, I'm able to push through those barriers and those challenges. And I have to tell you that 
even as recent as posting online about the release of the book, I still asked myself when I was hitting post, is it good enough? And there was a, a moment when my editor texted me and said, I'm thinking about the book and how impacted I was by reading it. She was new to my work. We had never connected. She's a young Latina, had won a 30 under 30 in Chicago a couple months ago. And she kept saying to me, this was so impactful for me. And she texted me and, and her text erased that, is it good enough question? But I did then go to my husband uh, later that day and say, I confess, right? Because that's the point is not keeping it inside is being able to say, I said, I confess, I asked myself, was it good enough? And so being able to overcome the challenges is about admitting that because when we are internalizing those feelings of insecurity of I'm not sure if it's good enough. We be believe that we're the only ones. But what I want to do through this book is not just sell books, but promote conversations throughout communities where people that are seeing themselves in these spaces can say, I experienced this, right? Where a CEO or a stay-at-home mom can have a conversation that connects them because they both experienced this. Um, so I've had a lot of people reach out to me, not just women, men as well, and say, I, I've never imagined that you've dealt with imposter syndrome or that you've had these challenges. And I'm like, really? Oh, okay, then I guess I put up a good front. Although I, I believe that I'm transparent, that when it comes up, I talk about it. That when I talk about leadership, I admit that sometimes I encourage people to practice self-care and although I do practice self-care to the point that I get my nails done and my hair done and take some time, I didn't always allow myself the rest. And that's part of the perfectionism space and that cycle. And, you know, as I was sharing with you all, I just learned how to nap in the last year. Like I just learned that that was okay. The world is not going to end if I stop and take a nap for 30 minutes. I love this. You know, this is um, a topic that is really near and dear to me. I've been in leadership development for many years now. And this is one of the things that really stuck with me as I work with leaders of color across the country, this idea of like just burnout, basically, that comes up uh, as a result of the kinds of things that you're talking about. So I was actually curious to get kind of uh, to a more nuanced level. I'm really curious about your research being the research geek that I am. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that came up around like the cultural connections between what you were seeing from Latina leaders and uh, this idea of uh, perfectionism and how that was showing up in their work as leaders? I'm glad you asked that question because first of all, the conversation around modern Marianismo has expanded between my doctoral research and the book in that, yes, it was a cultural nuance relating to Latinas and explaining Latinas as, as beings, not even as leaders, because everyone doesn't see Latinas as leaders and, and many Latinas don't see themselves as leaders, right? And I know you know that from your work, but in the last 12 years since my dissertation was published and more recently, women from other racial and ethnic backgrounds have said, this relates to me too, right? Uh, Italian women in the last two months have been coming front, front and center and saying, this relates to the Italian culture. I see so much of this, right? I had an African-American uh, doctor, a colleague who said to me, Black women deal with this, but I didn't know the name for it, right? And so my husband said to me, I'm glad that you expanded this conversation to include all women because there, there is a nuance for all women, right? So 
while there are specific nuances in each of the, the subcultures, there's this across the board expectation when it comes to the workplace that women will take maternity leave. Yes, you know, if you're carrying a child, okay, but what about parents, fathers, um, you know, same-sex couples that are adopting a child? What do they get? There's so much that comes up in terms of workplace practices and norms and nuances that um, leave people out, right? And so what came up in my research from 12 years ago that it still relates. And, and I think that's what motivated me. I was kind of sitting on this for a while and it kept coming up. And, you know, I think the pandemic really smacked me in the face around, we still need to talk about this, right? Because we saw additional nuances for women and the work from home and being able to juggle teaching your kids, supporting this, that, the other. But one of the things that came up is that family is a positive influence, but also a hindrance. And that was very personal to me because family is everything to me. I lost my mom when I was eight. My dad wasn't in the picture growing up. I was raised by my grandparents and family near and far on both of my grandparents' sides always reach out to me to find extended family members. They know that I stay in touch with everybody. And so that was very personal to me. And as I went into it and, and really tried to understand it and talk to other women, it makes sense, even in my own experience, because when I presented my research, when I defended my dissertation, I had my grandmother, my nieces, my sisters, my right, cousins, all generations represent my grandmother's home attendant. It was a culture shock for my uh, older white male chair who was from Mississippi. And he said, I learned so much from this experience because he actually passed by and then came back and said, oh, I, I thought there was a party going on in here. I'm like, it is a party because this is the first time somebody's doing this in my family, right? It wouldn't have been the last. My uncle was inspired and he he earned his doctorate a couple of years later. And, you know, we have others now pursuing their journey, but it was the first time. So it was a celebration. But what happens when the Mary can't plan the party when you can't make the party because you're traveling for work? When you're right, there's this feeling of abandonment. There's a feeling, to be honest, when you have a disconnect in terms of professional experience of, oh, you think you're too good or, you know, oh, so work is more important. It's not more important. It's the hat that I have to wear today because I have a professional commitment. And so that is the, the area that I personally had to really dive into and look at and say, wow, this, this is true. Um, so that that cultural piece of being able to navigate those different roles that we play. And that's one of the experiences that women have talked about across the board, no matter what state I've traveled to. You know, while I'm here with you, there's something I'm not doing. And so really making sense of it and saying, and that's okay, right? because while I'm traveling for work, trying to inspire leaders to find themselves and, and move in that space, my husband is taking care of the kids. And, um, you know, I've had to get to the point that I accept the help. And there are times still when he says to me, put down the toilet brush, you've cleaned the toilets already, and go relax, right? So you need those people in your life, whether it's a partner, whether it's a family member, a colleague, somebody to say, stop. And then you have to accept that. You have to be okay with, yeah, it's been a couple of days since I took a break like this. I'm going to watch TV, which I've been doing more <laughs> this time around than I ever had because I've been able to reconcile that that's okay too. 
I feel seen when you mention the toilet brush. By the way, there's a conversation here about about sort of expi- like just blowing up gender roles and partnerships and relationships. Um, I love that we're talking about cultural context as it refers to leadership because, and I'm not going to name names here. For a long time, there has been a person that has talked a lot about authenticity, disruption, um, and has been a, like a national speaker. The one criticism I always had about this when we talked about it in that way was it seemed to ignore, and I thought maybe it was just me, we're not talking about cultural context here because this seems to land different. It can land differently on people. Tamara, as you were doing your research or even at the onset of it, when you thought, when you were considering concepts of leadership and sort of looking at the landscape, what sort of occurred to you? Like, were you having a similar moment to I am where it's like, we're talking a lot about leadership. Like you talk about some of the professors in your program, but for you, was there a similar moment where you're realizing like we're having a conversation, but not all of us are part of this conversation? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the part that makes it challenging for individuals. And I'm glad that you chimed in with your own experience because while the conversation around Marianismo is about women, there are, and, and I have had many men that have texted me and said, I purchased the book because I need this as well, that find themselves in that space in in a different lens. My husband, for example, he always says, I can cook, I can clean, I can take care of the kids, right? And, and when I'm traveling, he says, you know, I don't need you to do all of that. I got it, right? That's not that's not the norm in our culture. Growing up, that's not what we were taught, right? I, we were taught that that was my job. That was my role. And so when you think about authenticity, in in the rarest form, authenticity is supposed to be about being able to be your full self, your full, full self. When we talk about authenticity and leadership, that's not the context of it. It's be authentic in that you can speak up. It's be authentic in that, you know, you can do this or that, but it still has limitations, right? So when I show up and I have, you may not be able to tell in this, you know, in this lighting, but I have blue hair. Uh, that's that's authentic, right? That that's who I am. That doesn't change my credentials. It doesn't change my intelligence. It doesn't change my expertise. But when someone sees certain features, characteristics, uh, the way that you speak, um, you know, the way that you dress, there is a judgment that does not allow people to feel like I can be really authentic, and you know, always having to explain yourself. And so for me, the doctoral journey itself was addressing that. It was about the classroom being the place where I really felt that I could be authentic, the place where I could ask the questions that I couldn't ask in some spaces, where I could say the things that may not be acceptable in some spaces, and where I found the power to translate that to other public spaces, from the classroom to the school boardroom from the classroom to public podcasts, from the classroom to anywhere that I go, I'm now able to talk about myself in every aspect. And there are times when it feels with the crowd that it's TMI for them, but that's my truth. And I have to be able to show up in that way because someone that is listening to this is going to see themselves and hear themselves and say, oh, I'm not the problem. 
society's expectations, boundaries, gender roles. That's the problem. And that's what we see pouring into boardrooms. That's what we see in the creation of policies that don't align with really meeting the needs of students, for example, when we talk about education or HR policies and practices where individuals don't feel like they can really be their authentic self. And right now where DEI went from being praised and sexy to now being demonized, this conversation is more important than ever because what is real authenticity? This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Thank you for for that and sharing that. I mean, there's so many different places to go. You started to talk about classroom to boardroom and education and the policies. And that's kind of where we're hoping to pivot a little into your experience. Uh, you were the first uh, Hispanic elected as school board director in the East Stroudsburg area school district, where you chaired the education committee during your full tenure there. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in that role? Yeah, so that was another role that put my authenticity in question uh, because for four years I did have to explain myself everywhere, everything from why I needed to be called doctor in public meetings um, to my demeanor, to why I always had to say something, you know, and um, and that is an area where I was very comfortable being really authentic, right? You'll notice when I talk about it for real, for real, I put the really in front of it because students need to see people that represent them and students need to hear people that sound like them. And, you know, I had many instances where I go into the classroom and students, especially in the um in the programs where we had transfer students and English language learners, where they would say, you know, I I haven't heard somebody that can throw in Spanish while they're talking to us. And that made, made more sense to me, right? Because it resonated with their experience. And when you're the first, when you're the only, which is often my experience, not just on the school board, but on many boards across the country, you have to create an image of what it's like to be me, right? I have to explain to people what it's like to be me, what it's like to navigate these dual cultures, why I'm so passionate about the issues that I fight for, why I'm not gonna back down if I'm the only person that votes a particular way because I really believe that that's what's best for students. And so it puts me in a place where authenticity means that I'm okay being the only one in this lane and I hope that somebody will see why I'm so passionate about it. So I was the first Hispanic to make a state ballot in Monroe and Pike counties, first to be elected, as you said, in my school board. Um, and and I was just um, 
I just vacated my seat in December and our school board is back to an all white school board. And I was painted as negative because I said that, but the school district is 68% students of color, which means that there's no one there able to speak about that experience. In addition to being 90 minutes away from New York City, I'm able to talk about and think about and put policies in place that relate to students that are coming from the projects of New York City like I did or growing up with grandparents or foster parents or they're adopted and they don't have a mother and a father like I did because my grandparents went to the first and third grade and could not have homeschooled me during the pandemic. But no one on the school board before me and now has that lens. They have the lens that I now have with my kids. My kids have a mother and a father. They're growing up in a house in a gated community. They are in ski club and karate and scouts and all of these things that cost money that I couldn't have been in. So the, the experience of being the first and the only for me always feels um, twofold. It feels exhausting and challenging in that I do have to explain myself along the way, but it also feels like an opportunity and a teachable moment. And I say this to individuals that are in leadership positions. It's okay to get tired. It's okay to say to somebody else, I, I need to tap you in because I need some support right now. But also think about how do I use this opportunity, right? When somebody says, well, you always have something to say. I agree. I respond and say, I do always have something to say because I've worked my butt off to be where I am because I had to earn the highest credentials because I've had to work very hard. I have national expertise and I work as many or more hours than anybody around this table to be at this seat. And think about why you're here. Sometimes you're here because you're a white male, because the street down the block is named after you as is true in our community because your family is in positions of political power, as we've seen throughout our community. And so that that's fine, right? But I've worked to be here. So I'm going to speak every chance that I get. And I don't know how long I'm here. And so, um, Nick, you were talking earlier about the, you know, the disruptor piece and all. And I think a lot of people use that term and they're well-intended, right? But but how are you disrupting and what are you impacting while you're disrupting? Don't disrupt just for the sake of disrupting. Disrupt to educate people. Disrupt to motivate people. Disrupt to get people to understand that the status quo is not okay, that our students and our young people deserve better, that individuals, if you're in a position of power, whether it's in an organization or in an elected or appointed position, that you, the people that you are supposed to be working for and representing deserve better. And so disrupting should lead to some kind of change. And I believe that even though I did not win my reelection, that the four years that I put in left a legacy and that even the people, and I said this in my closing statement, I said, even those haters have been part of my journey because you've motivated me and, and you've pushed me to be able to do the work that I do. And we'll keep crossing paths because I don't need the title. I don't need the seat. I now know the inside of how that works, right? How that space works. And so the other thing about real authentic leadership, the other thing about being first and, and being only is knowing that you may be there for a short period of time and going in just full blown, what can I do with the time that I have here? If I only have one term, which I did, and I was surprised, I'll tell you, I thought if you work really hard, you'll be reelected. And I forgot that it's politics and that not everyone is happy with you. Um, and uh, I've heard things like, 
they're for DEI, but they don't like that you shoved it down their throats. Well, then you're not for DEI. And oftentimes it's because people don't understand what it is that we're doing, what you're doing and you're doing in terms of my work, right? People do not always understand what, what is DEI and that I'm not creating this. I'm not making this up. Diversity exists because people exist, whether it's racial, ethnic, skin color, gender identity, family dynamics, socioeconomic, religious. I mean, so many aspects of diversity exist because we're people. And if you do not accept that, that's the problem. I'm not the problem that I'm trying to explain to you why diversity is valuable and why we should embrace it and, you know, and, and how to make it work. So, so there are just so many dynamics to leadership and particularly in education right now, where you all know how political it's become. We have to be very focused on how do I disrupt with a purpose? How can I show up really authentic in a way that influences change and influences the way that people think about others around them. I just, I'm, I'm so like uh, inspired. You have no idea, <laughs> um, you know. And and Nick and I were we're talking about this recently, just about DEI in general. This is work that I engage in, and uh, it's just hearing the fact that someone has said to you, "You have so much to say," or or it's it's mind-boggling that that exists that experience exists and yet people are saying that DEI is not necessary um it's just it's really mind-boggling um but I I am extraordinarily inspired by just your positionality and your willingness to engage these conversations to take up the space because it's yours to take and to share it as well um I'm curious what you might say to other folks who, are thinking about making inroads in the ways that you have, particularly when it comes to like school boards and being in those kinds of spaces where you will be the only one more than likely, um, or you live in a community where, you know, maybe you joining a school board is probably not high on the list of things that people want <laughs> there, um, but you feel inclined to, to take that step, right? What what would you say to those folks um, in, in light of your journey, in light of, you know, your book? I see a lot of intersections there. Um, so I was wondering if you could, you know, just share any any insight or, or wisdom um, that our listeners might might be able to latch on to. Absolutely. I'm so glad I met all of you. It's it's our first time, but I feel like I'm definitely in good company and I appreciate your encouraging words. Um, so last year, I partnered with a senator out of um, my state of Pennsylvania, around explaining to people publicly, it was actually our uh, MLK Day service commitment last year, explaining to people publicly through a webinar, what, what does school board, what does school board entail, right? What does, what is, what does the school board do? Because some people don't even know. Some people don't understand that school board is almost, in some ways, the most powerful position in their community. And even when you don't see the immediate impact, it is impacting you. If you don't have kids in the district, it's impacting your taxes. It's impacting decisions and policies. And if you do have kids in the district, more impact, right? And generally, people don't want to run for school board. People don't even vote down ballot for school boards because they don't understand what it does. So a lot of people go out to vote during presidential elections for the presidential seat and for high level seats, not realizing the, the impact that the school board has. 
So one of the things that I'm committed to doing, first of all, I'm committed to doing the hard work because I say that this is my life's work. I, I don't see it any other way. And I always say that my kids have and will always have advocacy because I can navigate those systems. I speak the language. I understand the lingo, right? I I know how those systems work. So this is not about my kids. This is about all of the other kids. This is about kids like me, whose parents, grandparents, guardians don't know. They, they don't speak the language. Some are afraid to be deported if they go in and fight a system because they don't understand their rights. I mean, this is very real in my own community. Nonetheless, communities across the country where immigration status is weaponized, where skin color is weaponized, where physical features are weaponized, right? I am white presenting. I have light eyes. I have blue hair. And up until I open my mouth and people hear my New York accent, I can get away. Even with my name, if you drop the Rodriguez, which I love Stacey rolling the R, you know, people say Bonilla and I can get in. And when I can't get in because I open my mouth and they hear how I sound and they don't want me there, I push my way in with my credentials, right? I'm one of less than 4% of Latinas in the country with a doctorate. I need to use that to open up the door, not just for me, but for others, as you said. And so what I say to people is that you have a responsibility and you have a right to be at these tables. It's not always at the same level. For someone, it may be serving on the PTO, leading the PTO. There is a huge opportunity to influence the mindset of educational leaders by serving on the PTO and partnering with them and saying, have you considered that Cinco de Mayo is not just about tacos? and tequila, but hopefully they're not talking about that in schools. But you know, have you considered the history of this event, of what occurred, of the countries that are represented by this event? Right? And so just being able to plant those seeds. When it comes to school boards, I always say I'm for term limits, and that's not political. You know, To me, that's a civic piece, that no one should die in a seat. Everyone should be able to come in here with their expertise and give back to their community and serve their community, whether it's on the school board, on the city council, at the municipal level. I hear each of you and I'm thinking you'd be dynamic in a bunch of different roles because of your passion, because of the work that you do, because of your experience. So we really need to get everyday people to understand how they can fit into that puzzle. What piece do you bring to the table that is missing in your community? So instead of being frustrated that elected officials don't represent you, well, think about running. And if you need to run, you know, if you need help running, I always say to people, I'm here. I'm not going to run for school board again, probably for a very long time. But I'm hoping to prepare a couple of parents that I know along the way have been part of my journey and say to them, hey, you need to consider. And I've already done that. The other thing is that I'm talking with our our leadership in the district and saying, what else can I do to support? And we're starting a community council where we can have individuals come in and share their views on what's going well and what's not working. But here's what I always ask people, what are the solutions? And, and that really pissed people off when I was on the school board because they would call me to complain. And that's the norm and that's acceptable. Uh, not for me. I put too much time, effort, and passion into this work to think about things alone. So if you're calling me about a problem, you better be willing to think about solutions with me. And if you're going to email me and say, you all are doing this wrong, you better have other ideas on how to do it right. 
because otherwise you're just a complainer. And so what I've always said to people is if you're just calling me to complain, I'm not taking your calls. You can send me an email and I'll respond to that. But we have to get to the point that we enable people to be responsible, that we push people to be responsible, that we shift the expectation from we're a community of complainers to we're a community of doers. And um, earlier today, I had a chat with um, someone from the Harwood Institute. I graduated from their um, coaching program last year. And that's that's the other thing people always say, and you, you all probably, um, the doctors here understand, and, and Nick, in your own experience, oh, oh, another certification, another degree, another, uh, yes, we have to keep learning and growing and, you know, expanding our our horizons. And so their program so closely aligned with my personal values and my vision because of their push for catalytic change. And 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 to me, it's sustainable change that matters. If you come in and you change a policy and a board comes in and reverses that policy and the process didn't change anyone's frame of thought or didn't leave for them a little ember that was burning, even if they were annoyed at you, even if they were saying she's annoying, she always has something to say. If it didn't stay with them, then then what did I really change? And I know that I at least annoyed a lot of people enough that they're thinking about the things I said. So, so you have to figure out what is it that you can contribute and realize that it's not all at the same level. And that breaks down some of the pressure for people to feel like I can't engage because I'm not going to be a city council person. That's okay. There are other things for you to do in your community. And many positions go without candidates during election time. Judge of elections, people that support voters, that don't, don't you don't have an agenda. You can go in there and answer questions and support people. Shouldn't have an agenda. You go in there and support people. That's a great position for somebody who wants to make a difference, but doesn't see themselves on the school board fighting some of the battles we've been fighting. I mean, these boardrooms over the past couple of years became battlegrounds. I mean, people were, I was told that I had no values. I should put my head in the sand. I'm arrogant. I'm narcissistic. I mean, some of it I have in writing. Some of it I have in, in meeting recordings. I was okay with that because it, it comes with the territory. Not everyone is equipped to deal with that. And that's okay. But there, there's a space for everybody. You said something a moment ago, which was really touching to me, which is in terms of being civic minded, the real reality of even if you're not necessarily sitting in a position of, of influence, like being on a board, the legacy that you leave, you talked about not running you know, for another term, but making sure there are things in place that the impact you've made, the impact that a school board can make, you're willing to participate in. That's stunning to me because it, it sits at the core, I think, of what seems to be missing in, I'll just talk about federal politics for a minute that we're fighting about, you know, who gets to be in the White House or who gets to be in the Senate and House of Representatives. No one ever talks about, like, when I leave, what I'm going to continue to contribute. Because you can. It's always often yes, going sir. into a cushy consulting gig or, like, leveraging your influence to make more money for your brand or whatever, right? But you're talking about service to the entity that you've served on. There are volumes of conversations I want to have about that, which we will have in a future time. Demar, we always like to make sure that our guests have an opportunity to just showcase their work, point our listeners to how they can learn more about the work that you're doing. Folks, of course, um, any links and resources that Damari brings up, we'll make sure to link it into the show notes. But 
Um, but if you don't mind, just for a moment, you know, how can people be more connected to your work, connect to you, um, in all other ways to just better understand the impact that you're making in your community and honestly, in the better part of Pennsylvania? Thank you, Nick. So absolutely always thinking about where I can plug in because it can never be about a title or a position. And so about a year and a half ago, I started my own consulting firm. I've always worked with clients, you know, on a project focused basis. And I, I started my own consulting firm and um, it's not cushy. <laughs> it's not the cushy one electeds leave for, but it is with a service mentality that I have the opportunity to work with nonprofits and corporations and educational institutions around some of these very topics we've talked about. Because oftentimes when conversations are taking place around DEI, everybody's using the right terminology and, and they mean well, but the people that work with them and for them have not bought in many times because they know the real experience, right? I once uh, said to the, the, um, to the, the Ford uh, individuals, we had, they had their chief diversity officer, the chair of the board. It was, my throat was dry before I spoke. I was a little nervous to say to them, you don't need me to come in here as a DEI expert and tell you the things that your staff can tell you they're dealing with day to day. You have staff that represent these demographics that are struggling, that are dealing with these dynamics that you're asking me about. I can put it into context. I can put a research background on it, but ask your people. They're going to be the best testimony to tell you what needs to be fixed. And so that's the work that I do in my consulting firm. I work with organizations, whether on a one-time basis or throughout the year, I have clients where I do a session for them every month around leadership development, around DEI and different spaces. Some of the newer topics have been DEI. DEI in annual evaluations process that came up with several clients last year because there's been a disconnect and employees see that as punitive and they don't want to participate. And so for me, the lens has been reframing the mind of individuals that this is your opportunity to advocate for yourself. So everything that I do is always with the opportunity to empower individuals to advocate for themselves and others at whatever level you feel equipped to do that and are interested in doing that. Um, I do have social media pages on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, on LinkedIn, Instagram, et cetera, where I post the work that I do. I post the areas that are important to me. I post quotes and, you know, just some of the life lessons that I want to share with others. And I'm never too busy to have a chat with someone uh, about anything that has come up, whether it's a podcast that they've listened to or a talk that I've given because 15 minutes that you give somebody can change their world and it can change our world. It can be the conversation that launches them into their next that then impacts their community that broadly impacts society. So, so for me, it's a full 360. It's every day I wake up to impact because I know what it's like not to have. I know what it's like not to have an advocate. I know what it's like not to have resources. I know what it's like not to have. And through access to education and to mentors and amazing people like the three of you who are giving a voice and creating platforms for those of us that are also doing the work, I've been able to succeed. And success looks different for me than for somebody else. I'm, I'm not the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but I live an extremely fulfilled life. And every day I move to inspire and to impact. So I thank you for the opportunity and, and the engagement. Would be honored to come hang out with you all again. 
Thank you so much. Um, I will butcher pronunciation because you know, it just unfortunately it's a, it's a thing I'm working on. But um, Dr. Damari, thank you so much for your time. As you mentioned, your channel will, will definitely feature those. Uh, and I'm not saying goodbye. I'm going to say see you later because we are going to one way or the other. You're coming back on. So thank you. <laughs> Hasta luego entonces. Gracias. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or just want to be part of the conversation, email us at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. This has been a production of Leon Media Network. I'm Nick Saveri. I'm Patrice Fenton. And I'm Stacey Schultz. We'll see you next time.